Every year in my town, there's this fantastic crafts in the park. It's always the day before Mother's Day, so it's fun to go and shop and get lots of cool stuff. At any rate, I came across One Earth Body Care, and it changed my life. Now, you may think I'm being hyperbolic, but I'm not. I am extraordinarily smelly, and I have tried every natural deodorant under the sun. Nothing has worked except for their fantastic natural deodorant. They have a variety of scents. They are non-greasy, cream-based formula, baking soda-free. Magnesium hydroxide keeps odor at bay, and let me tell you, it sure does. Organic and gentle, and they have wonderful, enchanting essential oil aromas. My favorite is vanilla rose, there's vanilla spice, lavender lime, lemongrass, cedar, sage. They also have wonderful shampoo bars, changed my daughter's life. Her hair looks amazing and conditioner bars. They have wonderful salves for dry skin and so much more. So please check them out at oneearthbodycare.com. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Health Power. If you've listened to my podcast, you're probably familiar with the podcast I did with Sunny Days called Active Allyship. It's more than a hashtag. If you're not, I recommend you check it out, but not right now, of course. Now the show went beyond the likes, the retweets, and the hashtags, making space for the vital dialogue necessary for social justice. And while we talked about activism, we never talked about something called microactivism with who, which, excuse me, our guest Amkari Williams is going to talk about today. I love her book, Microactivism, How You Can Make a Difference in the World Without a Bullhorn. Uh, Amari L. Williams has worked as a political consultant and life coach for 30 years with an emphasis on supporting activists who identify as introverted or highly sensitive. As a queer Black woman, she shares her own story of challenging injustice to empower others and making a difference in their communities. I'm Kari. I'm so thrilled to have you on Health Power. Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to be here, Lisa. It's so nice. First of all, my daughter is gay and she's an introvert and she's an HSP. <laughs> Just okay. a sensitive person. The trifecta. And, <laughs> yes. And Ankari, sometimes she'll come to me and say, you know, mom, I want to do more and I want to speak out, but she also has social anxiety. So, you know, she, you know, we taught her these great values at a young age and she feels badly. She's like, am I not doing my part? And I'm like, but there's so many things you can do. And if you can jump into that after you define microactivism, that would be great. Absolutely. So microactivism literally is doing tiny little acts of activism. I think often people look at activism and they think it's this huge, big thing that you have to be willing to stand on a stage. You have to be willing to go to a march. You have to be willing to just be more public than a lot of people are comfortable with. So microactivism really celebrates the work that the people, that really the majority of people do behind the scenes that actually empower social change. So um, I think that there's a path for everyone in it. And I think that the point is to find your path and then to stay on your path and not let yourself get sort of pulled from side to side by the idea that how you're doing it is not the right way. There's your way and your way is valuable. Yeah. And I love that it goes beyond like going to a protest, which I think is very important. But you're talking about getting people to vote, you know, voter registration, literacy programs, community gardens, and something called craft, I don't know if I say this right, craftivism? Am I saying craftivism. that right? Yeah. I love that word. What is that? <laughs> so you take crafts and you take activism yeah. and they have a baby and it's craftivism. <laughs> And it's really just using crafts as a tool of, of social change. So you, you might be a brilliant graphic designer and design 
amazing posters that you take to a march and you use them as tools to engage people in conversation. I mean, the art itself is important, but the activism part is using it to forward the purpose of whatever it is your art is supporting. So it might be something like creating quilts for shelters. It might be something like a literacy program where you are actually helping kids learn how to make zines and having those zines be about social issues that impact them. Maybe, you know, that there are books that are banned in their local library, things like that. That would be craftivism. Oh, that's so interesting. You know, recently I gave away 70 bags of book books, excuse (laughs) me, because I get a lot of books. I'm doing this for a long time uh, to an organization in Boston that helps youth who want to do some good things. And that felt really good. You know, I was great. I loved getting the books out, but I also thought, you know, some people say, oh, you should sell those. I'm like, I'm not going to sell them. I want to help people. Right. Yeah. And I think that sometimes we get so caught up with like, well, I can make $20. Yeah. But you could change people's lives. Like those 70 books, they're going to resell them and that's all going to go to their organization. And people are going to read them and be inspired by them. Yes. And that is also going to change someone's life. I think that it's really important to consider the ripples of the things we do and the possible ripples of the things we do or don't do. And so with microactivism, what you're really looking at are the ripples of all of these small activities that people are doing around the world all the time in service of causes that mean something to them. And those ripples will never even know the impact that we have. Yeah, that is true. And I like that you talk about sustainable involvement. You want to do things you're going to keep doing. I mean, this is something that I would talk about on Health Power about if you want to start eating better, you got to take small steps. So talk to us about how those small steps can really help and keep us on track. Well, I I think the thing that people often get dismayed by is they feel like, everything they do has to have this huge immediate impact. That's just not the way the world works. I mean, I wish it were because if it were, I would snap my fingers and fix a whole (laughs) bunch of problems, but it's not going to happen. But what I can do is I can consistently do one thing. I, I, I profiled a number of people in the book and one of the people I profiled is very much an introvert. And you would no more see her at a march than you would see her trying to flap her way to the moon. (laughs) What she does on a regular basis is she writes postcards to voters. And she happens to be a very talented artist. And so she makes her postcards little tiny works of art. Mm. So that when they show up in someone's mailbox, first off, it's actual mail. Who gets that anymore except for maybe the occasional (laughs) bill? Right. And they're so pretty that the person's bound to turn them over and say, oh, what's this? And then see an announcement about an upcoming local election. And I, it's the kind of thing where you might even stick it on your refrigerator. And that makes you more likely to go and vote in that upcoming local election that you might otherwise just have pass you by. That's yeah, microactivism. That's and it's something that she can do over and over and over again and has has been doing it for years and she oh, just keeps great. doing it and it makes a difference yeah it definitely does talk to us about the activist archetype tool the activist archetypes i love them <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, me too. they 
they came out of my understanding that, you know, we're all so different in how we engage in activism. And I didn't want people just feeling like the only person who gets that title is the person whose face you recognize. Because it's not the case. So we have the headliner. That's the person whose face you recognize. We have the producer. They're the person who might be overseeing an entire project, right? So let's say you're doing um, a fundraising drive for your local library. The producer would be overseeing the whole thing and breaking down different tasks and assigning them to different people. Mm -hmm. The people who would be doing the specific tasks would be the organizers. They might be the ones taking care of making sure that there are cookies and coffee and juice at the thing. They might be the ones who are collecting the books. They might be the ones who are in charge of pricing and labeling them. It's, you know, all of those different things. Those are the organizers. And then you have the indispensables. And I I have to say, I have a soft spot spot in my heart for the indispensables because they're the people who are doing the way behind the scenes work without which none of this would ever actually happen. They make sure that, you know, little things like having water and having toilet paper in the bathroom and having coffee for the coffee pot and having signs so that people know where they're going, all of those things that really matter are done by people whose names we'll never know and whose faces we'll never see. And they are incredibly important. Right. Yeah. And and that also speaks to people who are highly sensitive or introverts. They don't want to be out there. You know, I love to talk to everybody. I'm an, I'm the biggest extrovert ever. Put me on the front lines. Let's go. I'll be yelling and hang, you know. (laughs) Yeah. But you know what? We need that too. That's true. We we need all of it. (laughs) And I think that that's the most important part is that we do need all of it and understanding the role that we can play and understanding that it is valuable, even if society is, you know, saying, oh, well, that's just this. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not actually how it works. It's not a that's just. Yeah. And, you know, I wanted to mention that you, your career, you've been an actor, you've worked as a political consultant uh, and creativity and life coaching. What, what drew you to all these lines of work? I think the the thread that runs through them all is story. They all Mm. are based in story and story is incredibly important to me because I think it's what drives us. We, we have a story that's our story, or we hear a story that's right. someone else's that feels compelling. And that's what moves us along on the path of our activism. So that's the thread for me. And I think that it's the thread for most people. If you say to someone, yeah. why did you do this or that? They'll say, well, this thing happened and it made me see things that I hadn't recognized before or I saw this thing happen or this thing happened to me and I wanted to make sure it never happened to anyone else. So it always comes back to story and that's the thread. And that's what makes us want to change things for the better. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, I mean, I got into public health because my mom had been chronically ill my whole life and I just wanted to help other people to be as healthy as they could. And I'm not about being a certain size. I'm not about diets. I'm not about, I just, you know, move your body, be mindful, be active, help other people, you know, be a good person. Yeah, know, and, all right? those basic things that yeah. somehow get lost in the hustle and bustle of life. Yeah, they And do. just reconnecting with those things is so important. And, you know, 
basically, I, I sort of think of my work as empowering people to bring more dignity into their lives and the mm. lives of those around them. Oh, and that. that's what it's about, right? We all want to yeah. live lives of dignity. That is true. And I feel like I was lucky because, you know, uh, my dad in the 70s was a school board president and he was pushing for men to have paternity leave. This is in the seven, like the early 70s. Good on him. You know, and my grandparents were super active in the civil rights movement. And when white flight happened in their neighborhood in Chicago in the 40s, they were the one white family that stayed and that was their community for years. And just having this being born with this mindset and being raised with this mindset is I feel very blessed, but not everybody is. And that's where I end up getting frustrated with people. I'm like, how do you not see that? This isn't fair. (laughs) How do you handle that? (laughs) I, I handle that by being curious. I handle Mm, that by saying to people, tell me more. Right. You know, I want to hear your story. Tell me your story. I want to understand why you feel the way that you feel. Because I generally believe that there is a lot of crossover, that we want the same things. Our ideas of how to get there can be very, very different, but the goals are not different. We want to be safe. We want to be loved. We want to feel like there's progress being made so our kids have a better life than we did. We, yeah. you know, we, we, we're human. Our needs are not going to be different. And yeah. if we can just listen, then we can make progress. We can find ways to achieve our goals. No one's going to get all of what they want, but everyone will get more of what they need. And that right. feels important to me. Yeah, it's so interesting, Ankara, that you said that, because I just saw this ad on HBO for a documentary where uh, Nancy Pelosi's daughter, I think her name's Alexandra, mm-hmm. did a documentary with people who were in the insurrection and getting to know them as people and understanding that, you know, with social media and, you know, just how divided everything is. Alexandra Pelosi can get right. to a point where she's thinking, these are nice people. They're That's also probably thinking, oh, she's a nice woman That's because it's pretty point. rare that we think someone's nice and they think we're horrible. That <laughs> generally is not how it works. So once we break that, that barrier of, yeah. well, you think this and I think that, so we should have nothing to do with one another, we right. open ourselves up to a whole different conversation. And that is really where microactivism can lay its seeds and can do its work is in that space of shared values and that space of shared concerns and that space of shared dreams. And that's why I wrote the book is to empower people to find their way into that work on a regular basis. Yes. Well, I wish you could stay longer. You're always welcome to come back because there's so much to talk about. The book is fantastic. Microactivism, how you can make a difference in the world without a bullhorn. Omkari L. Williams, how do we find out all about you and your work? Please go to my website, which is omkariwilliams.com. Take the microactivism archetype quiz and figure out who you are. And just, and that will keep you, it'll put you on my newsletter, which I send out about once a month. So I'm not spamming anybody, but it'll keep you up to date on what's going on. And I'm really looking forward to doing some things in the new year where people get more engaged in sharing what they're doing in their own microactivist pursuits. So I'd love to have everybody who's interested join our community. 
Oh, that sounds great. All right, everybody keep coming back to Health Power. Follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Lisa Davis MPH. Thank you so much. Well, that's it for our show today. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you and we would appreciate it if you could please rate and review and leave a comment because the more you engage with our podcast, the more you will find it and help other people find it wherever they listen to their podcast. So be sure to follow us. I'm at Andrea Donsky and at Naturally Savvy and Lisa at Lisa Davis MPH. Thank you so much. And please share this episode because the more you share shows you care. We'll see you next time.